Hello, cyber friends. This is Chatting Cyber, and I'm your host, Mark Shine. This podcast focuses on how companies can help qualify and quantify the cost of a data breach. Chatting Cyber features some of the most well-respected privacy and cyber experts in the world. Join the conversation with business leaders, government agencies, and cyber experts to learn more about how and why they got into this ever-changing field that we call cyber risk. Hello, cyber colleagues. I'm Mark Shine, National Co-Chair of the Cyber Center of Excellence at Marshall McLean Agency. And today we have a true cyber celebrity with us, Peter Hedberg. Peter, thanks for joining. My pleasure. So Peter, my first question is, how does a guy who grew up in Minneapolis end up becoming one of the most well-known, well-respected underwriters here in the Northeast? It's called being a dork. Um, so when I was uh, when I was in college, one of my best friend's dads was the COO of um, Hayes Companies in Minneapolis. I sold to Brown and Brown years ago. Um, but I got brought up as an intern and I did what all insurance interns did and it was mailroom duty and, you know, spreadsheets and just all the stuff that nobody wanted to do. And that's fine. But one of the things that nobody wanted to do was build a extranet, which is a website that our clients could log in and pull down policies and information and stuff like that. We were working with a programmer at the time. We had kind of a shell built and um, I had had a little bit of a tech background myself. And so I started to take on this like, project management role a little bit as an intern and that slowly kind of developed into part of a career and then I got my insurance license I worked on large deductible casualty I did some claims all the while kind of keeping my foot in the tech development world um, then one day the entire DNO team you know defected to another company and they said you have a license you know how to work all of our systems go make sure the DNO doesn't start on fire for a while before while we staff up the rest of the team and, and I did that and I stayed at it because I was attached to revenue and I had this tech background. So when cyber slowly, this was like 2005 to 2008, when cyber slowly became sort of a more mainstream product offering, uh, they just pointed to me and said, you're <laughs> the cyber guy. Um, fast forward to 2013, uh, I moved up to New York City and my wife uh, got her master's at Columbia. So we lived out there for a while. Um, that's when I went over, that's when I converted to underwriting. I worked for Hiscox for a while. During that time, we had Target, Home Depot. We had all these big breaches. So that was 2014, 15, 16. Um, I then got the opportunity to start the East Coast, uh, the, or the, the New York office for NAS, which mm -hmm. is a um, LA-based MGA. And um, I did that for a couple of years, and that was fantastic. They got bought by Tokyo Marine. Um, I was there for the acquisition and then um, my wife got a fully funded PhD opportunity in Maryland. So we decided to move down to DC at which point um, I kind of backed off management and continued to do underwriting, but I did a lot more public facing stuff. And that's, I was employee 31 or 32 at Corvus. I was kind of one of the, the younger ones. Um, and yeah, so just having my tech background and the underwriting and the specialty and, and having the experience as a broker, being able to interface with policyholders um engendered a lot of trust with my brokers because they could put me in front of customers and, and they were happy about that and so yeah that's that's kind of how i got here so, so you mentioned you know corvus so so corvus is an insure tech can you explain to us what the difference between an insure tech and a traditional insurance carrier is yeah so for a lot of my underwriting career all of my underwriting was just based on what an insured told me i didn't really have i mean they could they could tell me the revenue was two million, twenty million, two hundred million. I, I wouldn't know. It's whatever they put on the application. The same for all of their security controls. 
And that's what I relied upon. That, you know, whether they had claims or, you know, some sort of gut feeling about that particular insured. Um, the reason I joined Corvus and I got excited about it is, um, in addition to losing a lot of business to insure tax wells at HCC and, and knowing that these were becoming popular, is the value proposition is just so fundamentally different from insurance, okay? Insurance math is super basic, right? Okay, it's losses, expenses, whatever's left over, that's your meal. And InsureTech's focused on driving down losses and they drove down losses through better underwriting. That underwriting was technology enabled, okay? It was not just about an application. Sure, that still formed a foundation or a part of the underwriting, but the scan, the vulnerability scan, um, uh, just other uh, pieces of uh, data, oh, sorry, uh, <clears throat> other pieces of data that we can scrape from the internet uh, and databases that can inform us about that particular insured, all of that comes together and creates an enormous value proposition that becomes part of this three-legged stool of uh, underwriting, which is the application, the actual exposure, right, the type of business and the revenue, and then this technology element. And when you mix all those together and you do it the right way, you save a lot of money on claims. And to me, that's what an insured tech does is it's leveraging technology to create a better policyholder experience, to create a better value um, and, and more profit left over at the end of the year that can then turn around and be reinvested into that technology. And you create this virtuous cycle. So it's about policyholder engagement and that sort of thing. So to me, that's what an insured tech is. I think insured techs have proven that they can grow really fast but that doesn't mean they can make money. So to me, InsureTech is about proving that there is value in the technology to drive down losses. Now, do InsureTechs all have the same kind of value proposition or does Corvus have a unique value proposition versus some of the other InsureTechs out in the marketplace? Yeah, so <clears throat> I think a lot of my competitors have services to engage policyholders, but, but the difference with Corvus is it's really a fundamental part of the relationship we want to form. So um, I think, so the days of an insured receiving a policy in the mail, putting it through your binder and putting it up on the shelf and just being a passive player in, in the risk chain, those are done. At Corvus, we're looking for engaged policyholders. So we have, um, we have a product called the Signal Endorsement and we're applying it to all of our policies right now. And, and one thing that we're doing is, we're trying to get our policyholders engaged and we're trying to create a monetary incentive for them to do that. The monetary incentive is a 25% reduction in their deductible wow. if they engage on online with our services. And, and the services include self-assessment, a virtual CISO. Um, that information is not used against them, okay? But it's used to tell us how we can make them a better insurer and, and how we can engage with them. We have found that the insureds that do engage with us reduce their chances of a claim by 20%. That's a meaningful number. That, that, that's millions of dollars when you're talking about a big enough book. So um, we're really excited about that. And, and, and for us, it's about providing that value to the insured. Um, when you insure a big building, like a manufacturing facility, a risk engineer usually comes on site. That's something we want to enter into the, the mindset of people who are buying cyber is, is we wanna help them uh, engineer a better solution, become a better insured. That down the line should lead to uh, better rates and a better 
uh, insurance product that they're getting. So again, virtuous cycle. Love to hear that. I mean, you know, most of the insurers, the traditional insurers, they say, you know, less than 10% of their policyholders are actually taking part in these pre-breach services. So it's great to hear that Corvus does offer these kind of uh, enhancements. Um, how can brokers help Corvus make the best policy experience, you know, for an insured? So I think I need brokers to proselytize this idea of engagement. So I think brokers in um, in other lines, maybe less so uh, for cyber, but but they've been very focused on the transaction because that's where the value of what they do is their access to the market, their ability to analyze those policies. Um, I think what gets left out of that equation when they're selling these policies is the additional services um, and the quality of the insurer that they're going to be working with per se, and and that's not to be antagonistic to brokers. Um, part of the reason I know that is the case is because I was a broker too, and I know that when insureds are buying the policy, <clears throat> they're looking at the price. Okay, it's a big, big deal right now. Okay, there's not a huge differentiation. So, for me, having brokers deliver the message that hey, engagement brings dividends to you as a policyholder. It makes you a safer policyholder. Um, also, trying to. Uh, make the relationship a little less contentious between this, the, the buyer, typically the CFO, and say the CISO or the IT director at that insured. Um, that's not an easy thing to do, but the broker is one of the most unique positions in that you are wedged right in between those two when it comes to the communication process of selling that. And that is a piece that you can arbitrate, right? Sure. And, and part of that is saying, hey, IT director, the feedback we're getting from the insurance company is, is not a direct criticism of the job you're doing. It's a reflection of everything they're seeing on claims right now. So if they're saying you might have a shaky VPN solution, I'm not telling you that you chose a bad VPN. I'm telling you that we've discovered that that VPN is probably not great. Sure. And that may not be feedback you ever got. In fact, that VPN solution is never going to tell you that they're a shaky VPN solution. <clears throat> so to that effect, Helping us try to smooth their relationship out um, is a huge uh, a value add for us in the risk chain. So, so one, of, one of the most common topics that you kind of hear about in the marketplace is third party risk and systemic risk. Um, you know, how is the marketplace addressing this and or Corvus, uh, you know, whatever you're able to share? Yeah, so <laughs> it's funny. They're, they're, they're related and they're two things, right? So. Third-party risk has really reemerged. It, it, it's really reared its ugly head as a new exposure that we've got to underwrite to. And actuarially, it's difficult. It's sure. it's slippery because we need to wait for precedent to go through the courts, and these don't move fast, right? So I was just talking to my claims folks. When we close a month out, we usually wait about two more weeks into the next month, and then we can say, hey, like this month, July. July is done all the first party ransomware, that's probably it. That's probably all we're gonna see. Can't do that for third party. Sure. My third party tail can be three years, four years, something like that, right? Yeah. So we are seeing a rise in the cottage industry with the plaintiff's bar. They are resurrecting tons of zombie legislation and new legislation. And they're specifically focused on the wrongful collection of information. Um, and it, it is challenging for us but the good news is I think we're 
I think we're staring staring at a lot of cases that may have an opportunity to make their way to the Supreme Court, and 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 they may finally get uh, a, we might might finally get a real rendering on what actual privacy harm looks like. Um, so so that's something we're contending with right now. So when it comes to systemic risk. Um, I think there is a notion, especially in the media right now, this fragility model, right? Mm -hmm. Like one day AWS or Azure, you know, or Google just goes down, right? <clears throat> it's not quite built that way. Um, I haven't, I haven't necessarily, I've seen realistic disaster scenarios that play that out, but I haven't seen the technicals behind that per se. Um, so I guess my response to systemic risk is, um, we need to build better models that are more realistic and less Hollywood. I think we, I think right now we have an obsession with this Hollywood notion of everything just melting down at once. Um, we do have points of aggregation, right? DNS servers for particular geographic regions that can become an issue. I, I fully understand that. Um, I think the other challenge that we have from a risk aggregation standpoint is back on the third party. That's where those two things intersect. And that is, I think when it comes to wrongful collection, we have a lot of insureds that don't know they're doing it. So that's an aggregated risk that we're trying to work through right now. Luckily, we can detect a lot of what they're doing from a collection standpoint, and we can work with them on it and, and we can prevent it. We might not be able to capture all of the tail liability that comes out of that necessarily, but at least we can we can stanch the bleeding now if they're continuing to you know collect this particular information. So. Um, yeah, complicated answer. Sorry, but it, it just sounds like there, there's so much traction or so much movement in the market over the last twelve months. I guess you know if you had a crystal ball, you're looking into 2024. Is it uh, continuing of the soft market? Is it uh, continuous of the uh, improved underwriting? Um, wh where do you see the market starting to trend to? So, 2023, we've seen a lot of claims activity. And I think what's exciting about 2023, I say exciting, it's kind of a perverse thing to say, but what's exciting for us is we in the cyber market really demanded much better controls out of policyholders over the last couple of years. And we have been, a lot of that has been delivered to us. So now 2023 with this really dramatic spike in ransomware is a chance for us to prove whether those controls that we mandated are holding up and working. Um, at Corvus, they are. I can't speak for other carriers necessarily, but um, 2024 is going to all be about what 2023 looked like. And if we start to see loss years like 19 and 20 in 2024, I think you'll probably start seeing some reaction. I think you'll probably see it in underwriting restrictions first, and then you might start to see it uh, within rate. But um, yeah, right now, 2022, everybody had a really good year. And, and so they're all jumping back in the market. And I, I fully understand that. Um, everybody has goals. They need to meet them. Um, but yeah, 2024 is really going to be heavily dependent on how we finish 2023. So Pete, uh, you know, we talked about a wide range of topics. I uh, certainly appreciate you coming on the show. But before I let you go, is there anything I should have asked you that I didn't get to ask you? Um, <clears throat> no, other than... Um, I'm not going to cut my hair anytime soon, <laughs> much, to the, much to the chagrin of all my bosses. Um, no, I, I, I'm really proud to work for Corvus. 
Um, I think we've done, we've experienced a lot of different market conditions and um, the feedback we're getting from policyholders right now is that we are creating an ecosystem and an environment that is improving the, the stance of our policyholders. And I'm really, really happy that as an insure tech, I can point to those numbers and I can point to that value now. It's not just about growing super fast, IPO or, or all this stuff. It's seriously about improving the policyholder experience and empowering you as the broker to be a better risk manager when it comes to cyber. So I'm happy to say that we're doing that right now and uh, we're gonna continue to do it. Well, Pete, thanks for coming on the show and chatting cyber with us. My pleasure.